Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Buried Motives. When Melissa walked into my house today, she was almost giddy. She is so excited to tell me about this case and she hasn't told me really anything about it. And so I'm hoping I haven't heard it yet because she says there's lots of twists and turns and she's super excited, which is making me excited to hear it. The case is awesome, but it is a case that is a little bit more well known. It had a few books written about it. The most well known one being A Tangled Web by Leslie Rule and Rule's daughter. Oh, And it was covered on Dateline. Producers actually picked up on the case from a fellow podcaster from So Dead, hosted by Jen Carpenter. Woohoo! Way to go, Jen! Yeah. But I thought that was so cool that they got the idea from a podcast. Yeah, because often podcasters are looking at Dateline for ideas and information. So it's nice to see that role reversed. So cool. But because of the craziness of this case, I couldn't stop researching it. It just kept going and going and going. And when I was trying to get show notes together, I was like, oh, but I need to include this and this and this. Yeah, Melissa told me she actually had to edit out five pages out of your notes. Yeah. And it's still going to be a long case. It will be. But it's so worth it because cases that involve love triangles always have so much drama in them. And they're always so fascinating to me. There's always that classic storyline that envelops almost all love triangles. But the angles that exploit the cases are always different. Passion and jealousy always seem to go hand in hand and I'm a sucker for drama. (laughs) Yes, she is. (laughs) Now I want to sit down and like watch a movie like that. But even better, I get to listen to you tell me a story. If this was put into a movie, you would sit on the edge of your seat for the whole time. That's awesome. And if you're like me when you watch movies, this is one movie that you would not be able to guess the ending of. Oh, and that's unusual for you. Mm -hmm. That's one of Melissa's like pet peeves is when she can figure out the whole movie. Or the whole book right at the beginning. Yep. Even though I try every time to do that. Oh, desperately try. (laughs) But this is one that had everybody guessing who the murderer was right to the end. Okay, listeners, let's challenge ourselves and see if we can figure it out. You might need a pen and a pencil. There's a few players in this one. Okay, noted. The case that we'll talk about today starts with a man. It always starts with a man. (laughs) That's like my next line in here. That's where it always begins, right? Trouble, at least. Yep. (laughs) Sorry, we love our male listeners. But it always starts with when a woman falls in love with a man. So Dave Alexander Krupa was just an ordinary guy who grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. He was the oldest in his religious family and had a loving childhood. After graduating, he served two years with the National Guard in Denver and then earned an associate's degree in automotive engineering. In 2012, at the age of 35, he had just ended a long-term relationship with the mother of his two children, Amy Flora. They had been together for over 10 years, but when she gave him the ultimatum to pony up to give her a ring or else... Dave chose the or else. No. Mm -hmm. After having two children with her. And spending over 10 years with her. And she's like, ring or get out. And he got out. Yep. Dave, what's the matter with you? Honestly. You know what? He just strongly believed that you didn't need a commitment to stay in a relationship. He didn't want to feel tied down. Even though he's already been with her for 10 years and has two children. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, Dave. 
at 35, he was feeling like he wanted to sow his wild oats. <laughs> He's too young. <laughs> Despite the couple's differing views on marriage, they remained amicable after the 2011 breakup for the sake of their children. Dave moved a short distance away to take a job as a manager at an auto repair shop, Jensen's Tire Store, in Omaha, Nebraska, and would visit his kids back in Council Bluffs, Iowa, on a regular basis. As we go through today's case, we'll be jumping back and forth between Nebraska and Iowa. While the story being in two different states made the future investigation a little tricky, we aren't talking about huge distances. They literally are on the border of each other, and Omaha to Council Bluffs was about a 10 to 20 minute drive. Oh, that's nothing. No, so they're just over state lines. Okay, that's like driving from one area of your city to the next. Yeah, they were super close. It's all within driving distance. Okay, it just makes it tricky when it comes to the investigation because it's two different police forces. That's right. As Dave settled into his new life, being a single dad, he re-entered the dating pool by putting together some online dating profiles and began to meet women. That don't want to settle down at 35. Absolutely. That is exactly what he's after. He wasn't dating to find an exclusive relationship. He had just gotten out of one. What he was really looking for was some casual fun. Not necessarily just sex. Christy just totally rolled her eyes. I did roll my eyes. I'm like, he's in it for the booty calls. <laughs> he was not necessarily in it for the sex. He liked the companionship too. But baloney. He... <laughs> baloney, baloney, baloney. <laughs> he wanted to avoid any sort of commitment. Yeah, so he's in it just for the sex. Light and breezy. <laughs> Light and breezy. It's translated to, I just want to get down and then send you on your way before breakfast. Yeah. On the dating site, Plenty of Fish, Dave came across the profile of a woman named Liz. She was a single mom of two kids and they were similar ages to his kids. And from her profile, it looked like she was after the same thing. Liz was an attractive 38-year-old and worked as a housekeeper. Dave set up a date and the two had fun together. By the fourth date, they had started having sex. And I shouldn't be so judgmental. If that is what you both are after, then that's fine. Yeah. Right. And he's being forthcoming about it. I want it light and breezy. Mm -hmm. So only respond if you also want it light and breezy. That's right. Dave remained upfront with Liz that it was a casual relationship and that he was going to date other women. Right. Which is okay. Mm -hmm. While Liz was a little put off by this at first, she went along with it and knowingly continued to date and have sex with Dave. I guess a little Dave was better than no Dave. <laughs> you knew I was going to react to that. Sometimes I try to set Christy up good. <laughs> but I was thinking, I wonder how many women will say that they're okay with a casual thing when they're totally not. Well, I was just thinking, she's probably thinking, he's going to fall in love with me. We'll start out this way, but it's going to turn into a relationship. Right. Our kids are the same age. We're perfect for each other. I'll just bait him in and then... I'll hook him. Their relationship was very on again, off again. They would try a month long exclusive period, but it really didn't change Dave's mind about the whole committed relationship thing. It just wasn't for him. But he did continue to have sex with her on and off. Well, of course, if she's willing. And she was. She went in knowing fully that he didn't want a committed relationship. In the fall of 2012, after a month of exclusivity, fate played Dave a card he wasn't prepared for. Well, she got pregnant. No, she didn't get pregnant. Oh. <laughs> He'd had a vasectomy at this time. Okay. While working at the shop, a gorgeous woman came in to get her Ford Explorer fixed. While leaning over the engine, sparks flew between the two of them. But despite the obvious chemistry between him and this stranger, he was respectful about his company and restrained from making a move on her at this time. Ooh, I can see the sparks. Uh-huh. That nervous chemistry between two people? Yeah. That's exciting. 
A few weeks later, while surfing through the dating profiles, he came across Carrie, the same woman from the repair shop. No way. Mm -hmm. It was fate. I was just going to say, that sounds like fate. (laughs) Yep. So he had done the stand-up move. He didn't hit on her while he was working. And he was rewarded when he found her dating profile. The two went out on a date on October 29th, 2012. And Dave later said that the two were very enthralled with each other. The date went fabulously. Other than the fact that Liz was continually texting him to come by and get some of her stuff from his place. Oh, Dave ignored most of the messages, only responding to say that he was on a date and couldn't talk and continued to be enthralled with Carrie. By the end of the date, neither of them wanted it to end. So they went back to Dave's place. Boom, chicka, wah, wah. (laughs) Just for something casual, right? Yeah, casual. (laughs) But shortly after they arrived, Liz showed up unannounced to get her stuff. After a teary display by Liz, Carrie bowed out of the awkwardness and told Dave to give her a call when he got things sorted out. Yeah, who can blame her? Could you imagine that kind of interaction? No, the first time you're going back to his place? No. Well, this was our first date even, right? Yep. Carrie tells them that it's not a big deal and passes a very upset Liz who is waiting at the security door of his apartment. So Liz is obviously way more invested in this relationship with Dave than Dave is with her. Mm Mm-hmm. An embarrassed Dave is not happy with Liz for ruining his date and promptly gets her her things and says goodnight. Yeah, I can't blame him. See ya. Bye. Yeah. (laughs) Once he's alone again, though, he gives Carrie a call to apologize for what has happened. And to prove that there are no hard feelings, Carrie invites him over to her house in Macedonia, Iowa. That night. (laughs) So, So she was obviously really into him, too. Yeah, she was very into him. So off Dave goes. This is like well into the night and he drives off to the next state. An infatuation is a crazy thing, right? Oh, for sure. To Dave's surprise, before they get intimate, Carrie makes sure that he's not looking for any commitment. Light and breezy is what she's after. No drama. He tells her he's totally on board for that. Okay, so it sounds like a match made in heaven. Mm -hmm. Over the next two weeks, Dave describes he felt like he hit the Powerball. And would tell Keith Morrison, the Dateline correspondent, that as a man, I'm always looking for companionship. So I'm always looking for a girlfriend, but never a committed relationship. Okay. And Carrie was perfect for that. It was all she wanted in a relationship too. Dave continued to see both Carrie and Liz, but clearly was favoring Carrie. And Liz was okay with him seeing Carrie? Yeah, because they had agreed that he would see other women. Right. And Mm -hmm. she could see other men. That's right. And she was. Okay. He was feeling like they were kindred spirits. She was a no-drama kind of girl. On November 10th, when her explorer was vandalized with silver paint, she made a point of taking it in stride and laughing about it on a video. Like laughing like, huh, this is my son's truck and I guess somebody else didn't like the color. It was no drama, no woe is me. Dave is thrilled with Carrie. She was a confident and super smart woman that was passionate about her job as a computer programmer and wasn't clingy. Well, she seems awesome. She does seem awesome. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. A few days after the car vandalism, Carrie, who worked for a telecommunications company, began an intense project in Omaha that required her to work long hours in Omaha. And with a commute back to her home each day at Macedonia, Iowa, it was going to take very long days to complete the project. So Macedonia was about an hour from Omaha. Okay. Dave, being the helpful kind of guy he was, offered for Carrie to stay at his place for the week of November 12, 2012. The two were getting along wonderfully, and they were both on the same page about committed relationships, so he didn't really feel like it was a danger to his no-commitment rule. 
Yeah, he's just helping a pal out. Yeah, it just made logical sense for her to stay closer to where she was working. Mm-hmm. And her work was a couple of blocks from his house. And so he was going to save her some gas money. Yeah, and time. Mm-hmm. Carrie thought it was a brilliant plan and arranged for her teenage son, Max, to stay with her mom and stepfather for the week and took her bags to Dave's apartment. November 12th, day one of the arrangement, everything went according to plan. Carrie worked until late in the evening at the office and then returned to Dave's place between 8 and 9 p.m. The two spent the night together and Dave kissed her goodbye the next morning when he left for work around 6.25 as Carrie sat on the couch using her laptop. She had already called into the office at 6.15 and she was just scrolling through Facebook before she left for the day. When Dave left the apartment that morning, he was encouraged by the success of the casual relationship and was excited to return home again that evening. And Dave was actually starting to feel like, this might be something. Like, I could turn this into a relationship. So maybe it wasn't that he didn't want a committed relationship. It was just he hadn't found who he wanted that committed relationship with. But that excitement would take a dramatic turn. Dave received a text from Carrie at 10 a.m. saying that she thought they should move in together. And although he was feeling those feelings, he wasn't comfortable with Carrie bringing those feelings up. Oh my goodness, get rid of your ego, Dave. To him, it was like, oh, Carrie's pulling a Liz. She had pretended to be all easy breezy, but secretly she was after a commitment too. And so he was like, nope, shut that down right away. He didn't want any suggestion of living together. Because now all of a sudden he's going from, oh, I think I really want her to live with me to, ah, I'm being trapped. Yep. And that's when the drama was unleashed. Carrie texted him back saying, fine. I don't ever want to see you again. Go away. I'm dating someone else anyway. I hate you. Whoa, that's a little extreme Mm -hmm. from easy breezy Carrie. Yep. Dave was dumbfounded and was equally surprised when he returned home that night and Carrie had left. All of her belongings were gone. He saw no sign of her. When Carrie started sending even more texts two days later telling him that he had ruined her life and that he was a terrible person, Dave felt that he had dodged a bullet. Carrie was not the person he had first thought. The messages and drama would continue to a harassment-type level for the next three years. Three years? Mm Mm-hmm. Crazy. And they didn't date that long. Three years? That's crazy. Dave began to get 50 to 60 emails a day, as well as texts and phone call hang-ups from Carrie. She became totally obsessed with him and with anyone else he spent any time with. The messages were bizarre at first. They carried a jealous tone. But then, over time, they became spiteful and threatening, and they just kept on coming. They would say, I will destroy you and take your happiness. What? Mm -hmm. My favorite thing to do is to stand outside and stare at you. Oh my gosh, this girl is unhinged. Mm -hmm. And 50 to 60 a day? That's so many. Yep. For three years. For three years. Dave would later recount that on one specific occasion, he said, I was sitting on my lazy boy with my feet up watching TV, trying to relax. It was nighttime and I get a text saying, I see you. You're sitting in a chair with your feet propped up wearing a blue shirt. And he said, all those things were true. (laughs) I would have dropped my popcorn. (laughs) (laughs) So does he go to the police? Mm -hmm. Some of these messages would include pictures to prove that she was just outside of his apartment. At his work, he would get repeated calls and hang-ups to the point where Dave felt he was going to lose his job. He tried to change his phone number, but the messages would never stop. So she'd figure out his new phone number. Mm -hmm. In January 2013, Dave noticed Carrie's Explorer parked in the parking lot across from his building. Even though it was covered in snow, he recognized it immediately because he had done mechanic work on it before. He called the police immediately and they investigated. 
but there was no signs of Carrie. She didn't want to be caught. The vehicle was parked in a way that it gave a perfect view of Dave's apartment. Whoa. And she had meticulously like cleaned her vehicle. They couldn't come up with anything out of it. And it's not a crime just to be parked there. Nope, it's not. In January 2014, Dave was spending time at home with a friend, Heather. She watched his phone light up nonstop the whole night and thought that she heard someone trying to get into the back of the house. Later that night, when the two of them were in bed, a brick was thrown through the window. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Even Amy, the mother of his two children, began to get threatening messages about staying away from Dave. The threats even extended to his children. What? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a whole new level of crazy. When you're starting to get jealous of the time he spends with his children. Yep. It seemed everyone around him was fair game, so any woman that he dated would start to get text messages. Well, Dave, how's that light and breezy attitude working out for you? Yeah, maybe you should have proposed to Amy. (laughs) There's just something about Dave, I guess. I guess. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is he never actually stopped his online dating profiles. But there were times when she would go and post fake dating profiles about him. Or would slam the profiles that he created saying like, this guy's a loser. He runs off. You know, he made me pregnant and he left me and totally slamming him online. Poor Dave. Like, honestly, this would be horrific to go through. Oh, absolutely. And it wasn't just Dave. Everyone around him was fair game. And a frequent target for the harassment was Liz, who had passed her in the hall. She too was receiving disturbing messages from Carrie at an alarming rate. Now, is Liz still seeing Dave? Yep, on and off. Okay, so Liz is hung in there for the long haul here. Yep. Shortly after Carrie left Dave's apartment, someone broke into Liz's place and stole checks. And then on November 23rd, someone had painted whore from Dave across the interior wall of her garage. On the inside of her garage wall. Yeah, that is creepy. Because then you know she's been inside. Yep. She reported it to the police and told Dave about it. At one point, Dave received an email with a picture attachment from Carrie. The email threatened to kill Liz. And the picture was of a woman tied up in a trunk of a car. What? Mm -hmm. He thought the picture didn't look so much like Liz, but he did call her just to make sure that she was okay. And she is. She's just fine. Her and Dave actually start to develop a bond over the shared experience of being stalked by this crazy woman. Together, they agree to help the police find Carrie by letting them download all the messages from their phone in a data dump. So they're like, look, these are all the crazy messages she's sending us. You need to help us out. They even started to joke about the messages that they would receive while they were together, that they were from Crazy Carrie, as they nicknamed her. (laughs) Well, you would almost, because you're in that situation where it's you laugh or you cry. Mm -hmm. making a joke about it would help to ease that tension. And you would just naturally be drawn to somebody that was experiencing the same thing as you. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. It was as if they were living their own personal horror movie. They were always peeking around corners, always checking behind their backs. Dave and Liz's relationship still remained on again, off again, but they were kind of leaning on each other more and more. It was in an off again stage when Liz called the police at 814 on August 17th, 2013. So this is like almost a full year after... Carrie has started all of this craziness to report that her house has been set on fire. Whoa. She and her kids were in the process of moving in with a friend because of an eviction, and they had stayed at the friend's house the previous night. When she returned home that morning, that's when she had discovered the remains of a fire, and all four of her pets were dead. No. Yeah, she had a dog, two cats, and a snake all died in the fire from smoke inhalation. Oh. 
Liz had received a text message at 12.56 a.m. that said Carrie had hoped Liz and her children burned to death. So that's admitting it. Mm -hmm. Dave had received a similar email the day before saying, I'm not lying. I set the nasty whore's house on fire and I hope the whore and her kids die in it. Carrie, you are the nasty one. Mm -hmm. And this is getting scary because she's saying these things and now actually following through on that. Yeah. Yeah. When Liz called Dave to tell him that the house was on fire, he rushed over immediately. He felt so guilty that he had brought her into this situation. Neither one of them had taken the threat overly seriously because they had received so many threats at this point that it was just a drop in the bucket. When police investigated, it was clear it had been set intentionally. There were at least six different points of origin. Well, and aren't her threats like an admission of guilt? Mm Mm-hmm. This took the threats that Dave and Liz were receiving to a whole new level. They had been leaning on each other for support, but this was like way too much. Liz actually leaves Dave and refuses to tell him where she's going. She's like, uh, nope, I need to check out after this. Yeah, who can blame her? Mm -hmm. She's got her kids to think about too. Mm -hmm. During this time, Liz had moved in with a man who she had been seeing for a while. He was a little bit of a sugar daddy for Liz. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to leave his name out. You can find it in the court cases, but he's never made any statements or anything like that. So I'm going to leave his name totally out. I'm just going to call him Sugar Daddy because that's totally what she uses him for. He helped her out financially. He helped take care of her kids. And she pretended to be in a committed relationship with him the whole time for the benefits. She never told him about Dave. So totally just a Sugar Daddy. Yeah. And this went on for several years. But with all the harassment, especially after her house just burning down, She just wanted somebody to take care of her. And Dave had kept shutting her down. He's like, no, I don't want a committed relationship. So she was making this other guy believe that they were in a committed relationship. Right. And she probably felt a sense of safety to be living in his house Mm -hmm. rather than on her own with the kids. It seemed like he was a totally nice stand-up guy. Like she had been evicted from her apartment and he was letting her stay there. He was paying her bills. He had bought her a car. Okay. The drama started to die down for a bit during this time. The harassment began to take its toll on Dave. Dave was always fearful of what might happen next. He had difficulty socializing for fear of exposing someone else into the drama, or other people were fearful of being dragged into it, because even girls that he would date randomly would get text messages and emails and, like, leave Dave alone, Dave's mine. Wow. And now he knows that it's not just idle threats, that she could do it. Mm Mm-hmm. He avoided his phone and would circle his home or work looking for Carrie before he settled in. What a sad way to have to live, too. Mm -hmm. He gained 30 pounds and began to drink every night. Aww. Stalking is such an intrusion of your privacy. And it just messes with your mind, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you would never feel at peace. No. And it wasn't just when he was at home. It was when he was at work. It was when he was out on dates. Like, it just happened constantly. Yeah. So how do you live your life? Always looking over your shoulder. So difficult. Carrie's odd behavior and the heartache that it caused wasn't just reserved for Dave and his love interest. Carrie's own mom, Nancy Rainey, was disturbed by the messages she had received from her daughter and her refusal to come home. On November 13th, 2012, Nancy received a message from her daughter saying that she had found a new job in Kansas and that was it. Over the next several days, she sent repeated texts but never got any replies to any of her questions. She only got even more bizarre messages. One of them said that she was thinking of checking into a mental hospital. One of them said that she had broken up with her boyfriend. And another said that she had sold all of her apartment belongings and asked if her mom would arrange with the buyer to give them access to her place so they could pick everything up. 
when Nancy refused, Carrie lost it on her and was like, you don't love me. You're an awful mother for not being able to help me out. Whoa. You can just see her unraveling, totally Mm -hmm. becoming unhinged. Yeah. Carrie's employer was also stumped by her behavior. She hadn't shown up for work at all. And then on the 15th of November had texted in her resignation. And she had offered a suggestion for a replacement, but she was like, no, I'm out. I'm taking a new job. And she left him high and dry in this huge project that she was working on. Huh. So this is really odd behavior. Mm -hmm. In an attempt to try and figure out what was going on with her daughter, Nancy filed a missing persons report with the sheriff's office in Council Bluffs, Iowa on November 16th. So just at the end of the week that she had kind of went off the deep end. After she had received all those wonky phone calls. Yeah, that just weren't making any sense to her. Nancy shared with the police her concerns that Carrie had been diagnosed with depression in her late 20s, a few years after having her son Max. That diagnosis had eventually evolved into a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. She had been seeing therapists and was on medication, but there had been a couple of times when she had stopped taking her medication because she had told her mom that she just felt numb on the medication. Despite Nancy's concerns for her daughter, the police felt that there wasn't really a lot they could do. So there were two police forces investigating the cases at the same time. So Dave had reported this crazy stalker, Carrie, in Omaha, Nebraska. And Nancy had reported a missing persons report, Carrie, in Iowa. Right. And so two police forces were investigating it at the same time. Under different angles. Yeah. They questioned Dave on November 21st, 2012 at his work. And he shared with them all the crazy texts and emails that he had received up until that point. And already in the first week, it was like a huge amount of emails. And he was completely cooperative with the investigation. To the police in Iowa who were investigating the missing persons report, this totally convinced them that Carrie had become a disturbed stalker, which went along with the theory of the woman who had gone off her meds and was acting out bizarrely. Mm -hmm. This theory was further cemented when a detective from Potawatomi County in Iowa received a text from Carrie asking to be left alone. Oh, so she's saying to them... I'm not missing. Just quit looking for me. Yep. And it was reinforced again in May 2013 when Carrie's Facebook page told the whole world to essentially leave her alone. She was fine and expressed her frustration over people repeatedly asking about her whereabouts. She was ticked off about the crazy stories that were being told about her disappearing and attacking her mothering ability for leaving her son behind with her parents. And this is what the post said. I've answered enough questions to prove myself to everyone. I am done. You can either believe that I'm your daughter, mother, sister, or friend that you have known your whole life, or you can just leave me alone. I left my own free will. I am sick of everyone giving me a hard time for doing what I need to do. I am not missing. I just don't want to come home right now. I am a grown woman, and if I feel like leaving home, I have the right. I asked my son Max to come with me, but you didn't want to. So when I am ready to come back home, I will. I'm sorry for hurting everyone and just up and leaving. Hmm. Her mother and her son were heartbroken. Carrie's behavior just got more and more bizarre. She refused to return for her brother's wedding, her dad's funeral, and even Max's graduation she missed. So to me, this sounds like, okay, this could be a woman who's a little bit off her rocker Mm -hmm. and just telling everyone to leave me alone. Or sometimes we see stuff like this when someone has been kidnapped or murdered, and then that person takes over their accounts, their phones, and sends things that are out of the normal for them. Ding, 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 ding. Is that what it is? Is it really? Carrie's dead? Ooh. You totally guessed it. Her mother was convinced that there was something horribly different going on with Carrie. 
The person that was texting her was not her daughter. Carrie was a loving mother and would never leave Max for this long. The only thing that she seemed intent upon was stalking Dave, and that didn't fit into her easy, fun-loving personality. There were other things that her mother noted that weren't jiving with the old Carrie. Her texts and emails were harsh and snide and had multiple mistakes, which was totally out of character for Carrie, who had been identified as a gifted child and sported a near-genius IQ level. Oh yeah, that'd be a huge red flag. Mm -hmm. Carrie did have a dramatic side, but that had been reserved for acting in the theater when she was a teen. Nancy understood how bipolar disorder could affect someone's personality and make them seem like they were a completely different person, but she just couldn't buy it for her daughter. The person sending the harassing messages and doing all these horrible things could not be her daughter. And moms know, like that mother's intuition is real. Mm -hmm. In a post on Carrie's Facebook page when she announced that Dave had proposed to her, even though Dave hadn't, no, she posted a picture of a ring on a finger and the finger Nancy felt was much too stubby to be Carrie's. So she just pulled a picture off the internet. Mm -hmm. She was like, this is not my daughter. Yeah, a mom knows her kid's hands. Yep. Even Max began to doubt that the person who was sending him messages through his mom's Facebook account was not actually his mom. And what mom would miss their son's high school graduation? Yeah. He was being told this whole time that she was off her meds, that she was suffering from a mental illness, and this is why she was doing all these things to him. About six months into his mom's hiatus, he challenged her online to prove it was actually her. He asked her three specific questions and got no reply. He asked her, what's my middle name? What was the dog's name that we had when I was a kid? And who was my best friend growing up? All questions that a mom should know. Mm -hmm. But she just never replied. Most eerily, just a few days after Carrie's dad had passed away and she hadn't shown up for the funeral, she had only sent an apology for her absence, Nancy had a dream where Carrie's dad told her not to worry that Carrie was with him. No way. Mm -hmm. (gasps) That is like crazy. I don't even know how to respond to that. (laughs) Isn't that insane? So that was not just a dream. That was a message. Yeah. Nancy totally felt that this was confirmation of what she had been kind of guessing all along, that her daughter wasn't a missing person, that she was actually dead, and that this person sending the messages wasn't her daughter at all. And the gall of that person to continue to pretend to be Carrie. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. So far-reaching. Like she was having conversations with Carrie's friends and... Not just her parents and her son and Dave and all of his love interests, but everybody. So this is a different stalker that is going under the ruse of being Carrie. Yeah. That's wild. So in April 2015, Carrie's cool missing persons report piqued the interest of Potawatomi County Detective Ryan Avis and investigator Jim Doty. They both got a hunch that things weren't as they seemed. They were aware of Carrie's bipolar diagnosis, but didn't see any indication that made them think that she had, in fact, gone off her medication. There was no instance where it should have caused a manic episode. Right. The two agreed to take on the missing person's case jointly, but to work it from two different angles. One would assume that Carrie was alive and try to find her. She had been communicating through text, email, and Facebook for years with multiple people. The other would assume that she was dead and try to find her. All of Carrie's bank accounts had not been activated since November 2012, after two purchases were made on the 16th at two different discount stores. No one had physically seen Carrie since David said goodbye to her on November 13th. Wow. And like a manic 
episode is not going to last years and years and years. Nope. As the two investigated the case, they became to realize that the only forms of communication anyone had received from Carrie were electronic. So they brought in a specialist, Anthony Cava, a digital forensics administrator for help. And I have to tell you that he is like amazing. From that data, it became clear that an imposter was pretending to be Carrie. From November 2012, someone had sent texts posing as Carrie from as many as 30 different disguised phone numbers and emails had been sent from at least that many different types of email accounts, all disguised to be from Carrie. Wow. As time went on, the imposter got more and more sophisticated in the way that they were hiding their IP addresses along with their own identity. So they are going through a lot of trouble for this. Mm -hmm. Just the digital investigation was over thousands of hours of personal time. He didn't even get paid for all of it. What? Mm -hmm. He just volunteered his time. Yep. Wow. That says a lot about who he is. Yeah. An amazing guy. On both sides of the investigation, one name kept coming up again and again and started to make the investigation team very suspicious. Shanna Gollier. Who's that? She's not even in the picture right now. The glaring detail was that the stranger, Shanna Collier, who had never been involved in Carrie's life until she went missing, was now wound up in all of the drama that was surrounding all of Carrie's fake profiles. Did Shanna ever date Dave? Because he seems to be the common denominator in all of this. There's something about Dave. Oh, man. So Shanna Collier was born Shanna Kay in Kalamazoo, Michigan. For the first few years of her life, she lived in Michigan with her mother, Dolores K. or D., and her father, Al Jenkins. Her mother was a divorcee with two older boys when she met Shanna's father. He had just been released from prison after taking indecent liberties with a child. Oh. He had spent three years behind bars, and when Shanna's mother took up residence with him, the state authorities removed the two boys from their care because the home was not safe, obviously. Yeah, I never understand when women shack up with a pedophile while you have children. Nope. Not a good situation. And no. so this, the state stepped in right away. Good. Took those two boys away. Good. This, however, did not stop the two from having other children. Shanna was born on June 28, 1975. And a younger brother, George, was born just 18 months later. Oh, no. It didn't take authorities long before they took note of the two young children because of the violence in the home. In 1978, both children were removed. Having her children removed for a second time smartened Shanna's mother up. And at 28, she got the courage to leave her abusive and alcoholic boyfriend. Within a couple of months, the children were days away from being returned to their mother when tragically she was hit by a car and died. What? Yeah, isn't that the saddest thing? Like, was it actually an accident or was it the boyfriend? No, she actually was hit by a car and died. Oh. She had been walking home from the laundromat where she was washing bedding to get ready for the kids to come home. Oh, that is so sad. Mm -hmm. The two children now became permanent wards of the state. There was no extended family members that were fit to take care of the two of them. There was a long family history of violence and trouble with the law. And the families who had taken the older two, like the half-brothers, they couldn't go with them. I didn't read anything about where they had ended up. Okay. And it might not have even been, like that could have been sealed if they had been adopted. I just knew that there were two older brothers that Shannon never met. Okay. Just days before her third birthday, Shanna was separated from the last family member she knew and was put into foster care. That's so sad when they separate them. Mm -hmm. She would spend years bouncing around placements and was abused at least on one account. At the age of seven, she was adopted by Ronald and Teresa Golier, and they named her Shanna Elizabeth Golier. 
Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Is that Liz? Hold on. (laughs) Ronald and Teresa fostered and adopted many children, and their house had like a revolving door. Shannon would say later in life that while they provided the necessities of life, there had not been a lot of love in the home. Her parents were strict and devoutly religious and ran a no-nonsense home. In the mid-1990s, Ronald was transferred from Battle Creek Division of the Kellogg's Cereal Company, and Shanna was forced to leave with them. But as soon as she turned 18, she moved back to Michigan. By the age of 20, she had married a young man and was divorced a short time later in 1997. But Shanna wasn't one for being alone very long. She found a new man. In that same year, she met a man named Raymond, who she worked with at the Triple S Plastic Company. At first, the two were madly in love, but Shanna had a tendency to be very jealous, and this was a constant issue for the couple. And this was the pattern that several of Shanna's later partners would report as well. It got bad enough that Raymond wanted to end the relationship, but Shanna had just found out that she was pregnant. So he did the expected thing, bought a trailer for the two of them to live in, and tried to make a go of things. Well, and by her childhood, you could see why she'd have this extreme type of attachment disorder, right? In the sense of being overly attached and not handling rejection well. There are so many research articles about attachment disorders amongst children that were abandoned or didn't have time to form proper attachment with their caregivers. Yeah. It becomes very difficult for them to have relationships later on. They become very controlling of those relationships because they're fearful of losing them. Mm-hmm. And she was right at that prime age, like three years old when that's happening. Like that's when all that's being cemented. So you can see how this kind of builds in her and why she is like that with her relationships. Yeah. It gives some insight into it anyways. Yeah. And why she can so quickly leave a relationship. Because when she was eight months pregnant, Raymond was utterly shocked when the controlling, jealous woman left him and moved in with another man, Glenn Herr. Wow. Mm -hmm. So it's just as long as she's not left alone. She can leave you, but you can't leave her. Exactly. She claimed that the two were just friends, but there weren't many that believed that actual story. No. There was a period of time before the baby was born that she actually moved between both of the men. And when she was fighting with both of them at the same time, she would actually go stay in women's shelters. Wow. Mm -hmm. But that all came to an end when Cody Golier was born on the 25th of August. With Cody in the picture, Shanna chose to stay with Glenn, moving in with his mother and him, and Raymond barely got to see his son. Aw, that is sad. It is sad, considering that she knew how important having a family was and being connected to all of her family. She just cut out her child's father. Yeah, and Raymond was trying to do the right thing by buying this trailer. Let's build a family. Mm -hmm. Shanna and Glenn struggled to raise Cody and Glenn's infant son, who was just a couple of months older than Cody. It wasn't easy, and Glenn's mom would help them out often because they lived at her house. Not that she actually liked Shanna at all. She found Shanna manipulative and felt that she used her son, who was naive and suffered from intellectual disabilities. Hmm. She was not a fan that her son would do whatever Shanna asked him to do. So Shanna and Glenn continued to work at the same convenience store and took turns with parenting duties. When one would go to work, the other one would stay home. On January 30th, 1999, when Cody was just five months old and was in the care of Glenn, he became unresponsive and was rushed to the hospital at 5 p.m. Oh no. Sadly, the infant died later that night. Aww. When the autopsy was performed, the examiner concluded that the infant had died from a brain injury resulting from violent shaking. <gasps> no, Glenn had done that to him? Suspicions fell on Glenn, who denied ever hurting the baby. He originally said that he had, in the past, tossed the infant up into the air. But when Cody cried, Glenn had stopped doing that to the infant. 
He was charged with murder and went to trial in December 1999, the whole time claiming innocence. He claimed that Shanna had been at home with the baby the previous night and had called him in a panic saying that she had dropped the baby. But by the time that he had rushed home, the baby was already asleep and appeared fine. Although the whole next day, Cody was quieter than his normal, usual colicky self. Aww. During the trial, Shanna testified against her boyfriend. Bizarrely, she chose to wear a blonde wig during her testimony. There was a warrant out for her arrest for some vehicle-related issue. What? Yeah, I know. A wig's not going to hide that. (laughs) So crazy. That's bizarre. Just goes to show, like, she just thought she could hide. Right. Right? If I wear a blonde wig, they won't really know who I am, even though I'm going to be recorded in these court documents. It just shows where her mental state is at, though. While on the stand, she produced messages from Glenn that asked her to cover for him and said that she had nothing to do with the baby's death. Glenn changed his story after this revelation and pled guilty to second-degree murder. So these were actual text messages that were sent between them. Him saying, help me? Letters. Oh, handwritten letters. Who writes a handwritten letter? Yeah. So while he was in prison, he sent Shanna letters saying, you know, if you could just say that you did it, I know you didn't have anything to do with it, but if you say that you did it, then you'll get off easier. And were these verified as like his letters? They weren't ever verified. Hmm. His mom strongly believes that it was totally Shanna that shook the baby and then blamed it on him. That the baby didn't die right away. It took time for all of the damage to take place. And that's why the baby acted so off the next day. Yeah. And wasn't there the actual text that she had sent him saying, I dropped him? They never looked into it. Really? Mm -hmm. And he never gets out. Oh my goodness. So there's now lots of question now that knowing what we do about Shanna now, was her baby's death her fault? Yeah, it sounds like it was. And she didn't get him the medical attention that he needed. He might not have died had she done something that night. Yeah. And the MO of writing a letter to cover up her story. Yeah. She does this over and over again. Yeah, that seems highly suspicious. Mm -hmm. It's a pattern of her character. So after the 1999 trial, Shanna moved away from Battle Creek, Michigan and started going by Liz. Liz. (laughs) It is Liz. Yep. Well, Liz started with all these red flags and then she victimizes herself. So you're not thinking it's her. Nope. Even with the name change, her act didn't change. She went on to have another child with a man who left her because she was too controlling. Her jealousy was disturbing and the man had to leave to get away from all the drama. She would continue to harass him, keying his car and make threatening phone calls and try to manipulate him into coming back. But he didn't want anything to do with her. Okay, our husbands are listening right now. You should be so grateful that you're married (laughs) to us and not someone like Liz. Just had to put that in there, even if it's in the bloopers later. (laughs) Several of her partners reported similar experiences. There was definitely a pattern that the investigation team would find interesting. Liz became key in the investigation about Carrie's whereabouts and who was actually stalking Dave. Once the investigation team had caught this break, they were able to trace texts and emails back to Liz through a network of hidden IP addresses. So is this that specialty guy that you were talking about? Yes. He's the one who makes the connection back to Liz. Yep. Wow. Kevin. He is amazing. So once he knows where to look, he now is like tracking things down crazily to her through a huge network of hidden IP addresses that she had set Mm -hmm. up. But this didn't clearly point to what had happened to Carrie. There wasn't any physical evidence yet. Dun, dun, dun. I love that. Dun, dun, dun. The investigative team continued to dig. They found in one of the messages that Carrie had supposedly sent to her mother 
about the person that was buying all her things, it was Shanna Golier that had signed the check. She had used her real name and sent Nancy a picture of the check saying, look, she's paid me $5,000. Can you please let her have all of my stuff? What? Mm -hmm. Why would she sign her own name? She didn't ever think she was going to get caught. When Carrie had supposedly texted her boss about her resignation, it was Shanna Golier that she recommended to take her place. <gasps> and Liz actually went in and filled out an application. No. Mm-hmm. She wanted to take over her life. I want all her things. I want her job. Mm-hmm. And I want her man, Dave. That's right, because Dave was more interested in Carrie. Carrie. What a weasel. Yeah. What a weaselly little dirtbag she is. As police were trying to build a case against Liz... She just happened to walk herself straight to the Potawatomi County Sheriff's Office to log another complaint on December 15, 2015. About Carrie. No, because Carrie lives in Nebraska. Who do you think she's making a complaint about in Iowa? Dave? Nope. Who? Amy. Amy? Yes. The first girl in Dave's life. Mm-hmm. The mother of Dave's children. Yep. So during this chance encounter with Liz, because she was just coming in to complain about Amy and say she has some big news about Amy, the investigators that are investigating Liz head her off and it's totally a chance encounter. Which I love when that happens. That mm -hmm. happens so many times when serial killers or murderers get caught. It's just by chance. It's perfect. It's not really by chance. No. There's the universe is putting their hand in there to absolutely get them caught. So during their chance encounter with Liz, she tells the police that Dave's 9mm Smith & Weston has gone missing and she thinks it's Amy who took it. Police had already been told by Dave a week before that there was a missing gun and had thought that no one else knew about the gun's disappearance. Liz shouldn't have known about the gun's disappearance at this time. But yeah. she knows about it because she took the gun. Yeah, but she's showing up at the police office in Iowa to tell them that, you know what, I've had this revelation. I don't think it's been Carrie all along. <laughs> I think that somebody's pretending to be Carrie. And I think that person who is pretending to be Carrie is Amy. That is bonkers. So she tries to sell this whole story that, you know what? It doesn't make any sense that Carrie, who's only been with Dave two weeks, has done all of these things. What does make sense is Amy, who Dave really done harshly. That's who wants him back. That's who needs him back because he's the father of her two children. And that's who has been harassing Dave this whole time. That's who I think has done all these horrible things to me because I've had this relationship with Dave. And so she's trying to sell Amy on them. She's just trying to kill two birds with one stone. Because why put in all that effort to make it look like Carrie for three whole years? Now that's not going anywhere. Amy's getting on her nerves. So well, let's now twist this and put all of this on Amy. I think what spurred it on was that in the time of their little break, Dave, trying to get away from everything, had actually moved back to Council Bluffs to be closer to his children. Yeah, which is a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. But he's now closer to Amy as well. And oh. so they're having more interactions. Not that they had a relationship after they broke it off. Yeah, but they stayed friends, which is good on them. Mm -hmm. They did the responsible thing. But to Liz... This looks like Dave is moving closer to Amy. And so now she has to take Amy out of the picture. Right. Well, and Liz was even jealous of his relationship with his kids. Mm -hmm. Even they were considered a threat. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The very next day, the investigators are shocked to learn that Liz was shot in the thigh while she was walking alone in the Big Lake Park in Council Bluffs. And guess who she blames for shooting her? Amy. Yep. 
but they're going to do the investigation and it's not going to be possible for it to have been by Amy. It'll prove that she shot herself. The track of the wound makes it pretty clear that she shot herself. Yeah. So she actually shoots herself in the thigh. The guts that that would have taken. I cannot imagine. It just goes to show that she is absolutely off her rocker. Crazy. And and so committed to this ruse. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to shoot myself and then for sure they'll believe me it's Amy. That's right. Wow. Apparently she lost a ton of blood. And at first she was like, oh, I don't know who shot me. And then like, oh, it was Amy. Amy shot me. It must be Amy. Yeah. And so for the police in Iowa who don't know the whole story of everything that's happened with the harassment, they zoom off to Amy's house to arrest her. Yeah. Yeah. And rightfully so at that point in time, that's what they would think. This girl... So police clear Amy almost immediately. Which I'm sure made Liz so angry because now she's recovering from this bullet wound and Amy doesn't even get held for long. She doesn't even get taken in (laughs) because the police show up at Amy's house and she opens the door with her son in her arms. And one of the police, they check her car engine as they're pulling up and it's stone cold. So they know that the car has not moved. And her neighbors collaborate and vouch for her that, yeah, she hasn't left her house all day. And so Mm. they know right away that she doesn't have any part of this. She actually agrees to take a polygraph test. She fails, which... But those are polygraph tests, which mean nothing, really. Yeah, exactly. But the investigators don't believe that she has anything to do with shooting Liz. They probably couldn't find a gun. There'd be no gunshot residue. Nothing. Mm -hmm. But the investigators do lead Liz to believe that they are buying this whole tale that she is spinning them. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. The investigators ask if they could download the contents of Liz's phone so that they could review the messages so that they can get some information or evidence against Amy. On Monday, December 7th, she signs a consent form and turns over her phone. What? Mm -hmm. Because she had turned it over before and they had downloaded all of her content. So the first time they had done a download of her phone, it had just been a logical download, which is just all the data that's just on your phone right then. Right. This time when they downloaded her data, it was everything that had ever been on the phone, including any deleted content. It was a gold mine. They found photos of Carrie's Ford Explorer, date stamped, about a month before the car was reported by Dave and long after Carrie had disappeared. They also found the photo of herself tied up in the trunk of a car and a video walking around the outside of Dave's apartment. Like, Whoa, jackpot. Mm-hmm. They learned that she had been using an app, Letter Me Later, that allowed her to schedule future messages. So all those times that Dave and her were sitting on the couch together and they would both get messages from Carrie. Oh. She had set it all up to be delivered through this app. And then you would totally believe it. Like Dave would ha- mm-hmm. not suspect that at all. Yeah. Dave is totally shocked by this new development in the case. And he would feel even extra violated because he's calling her crazy Carrie with this lady when she's killed Carrie. Yep. And is carrying on doing all this stuff. She's the crazy one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's Loopy Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> the later messages can be traced back to her sugar daddy's IP address. So Kava, he estimated that she had spent 40 to 50 hours a week impersonating Carrie. What? This has become an obsession. This is not your normal stalking jealousy. No. Is there normal stalking jealousy? That shouldn't even be. That's not normal to even stalk. This is a whole new level. It is. Crazy. Investigators were also able to tie the only fingerprint that was found in Carrie's vehicle. It was on a mint container. They are able to match it to Liz. 
at the time when they tested it, they couldn't find any matches. It didn't match Carrie. It didn't match Dave. It didn't match anybody in their database. Oh, my goodness. So mm-hmm. the cost of fresh breath is going to put you to jail. Yep. In an interview two weeks after she shot herself, they convince her that they will need some proof that Amy was the one that shot her. Miraculously, Amy sends Liz an email confessing to shooting her. Oh, of course she does. Mm-hmm. But for police, this isn't enough. Police push for even more proof that it was Amy that was impersonating Carrie and that something has happened to Carrie. So they make Liz believe like, okay, yeah, for sure she shot you, but this isn't good enough. We need to know what happened to Carrie. Like you have this fabulous theory that she has been impersonating Carrie, that she's done something awful to Carrie. We need that proof. Yeah, like be the superhero and help us solve this case. Yep. They must have been laughing in the background, like her coming up with that email after. Just a few days after. Yeah, it's like catching your little kid in a lie and them coming with like a letter that they wrote pretending the teacher wrote it. Mm -hmm. The police go as far as encouraging Dave to move back in with Amy and his children temporarily for their protection. So they had actually put a tracer on Liz and they had been watching her circle Amy's home repeatedly. That surprises me because I think that that would just escalate her more having Dave move in with Amy and wouldn't that put them at more risk? Yeah, they actually do that on purpose. Unknown to Liz, the police had purposely asked Dave to move in with Amy to rile her up. She is their main suspect at the time, and they are fishing for her to give them more information. I hope they're surveillancing his home to protect Amy and those children. Yeah, they are. Police trace Liz's location as she circles the home repeatedly, where Dave is now staying with Amy and his children. And it works like a charm. She calls the detectives and reams them out for allowing that murderer to get to be with Dave. To get to be with Dave. Yep. Wow. So she's like, you know, she shot me. She murdered Carrie. How are you letting Dave be with her? And you can listen to this audio. It is the craziest thing ever. It's pretty much her stamping her feet and having a tantrum because someone else has something that she doesn't have. She even throws a brick through the window one night. Police arrest her, but she is released when she pleads guilty and says that she'll just await her court date at home. Police repeatedly convince her that they need more detailed confessions from Amy so that she'll never end up with Dave. And they're probably hoping that they're going to get details on what happened to Carrie. Mm -hmm. And that's what they get. Confession emails from Amy come rolling in, all confessing to bone-chilling details about Carrie's last day. Carrie was stabbed three to four times in the stomach and chest while in her car. The emails then claim that she was then wrapped up in a tarp and then the body was burned, dismembered, and then the different pieces were deposited in trash bags in remote locations. The emails even mention a yin and yang tattoo on Carrie's left hip, a private detail that had never been released to the public. Wow. So not only has she shot herself in the leg, but now she's shot herself in the foot. Yep. Because <laughs> she's just given them all these details. Mm-hmm. With this new information, the investigators returned to the Ford Explorer to process it for a third time on December 8th, 2015. Yeah, I was thinking that. How had they not gotten her blood from there? So originally when they processed it the first two times, they were looking for clues for a missing person. And so they just kind of did a surface investigation. They dusted everything for prints, but it had been meticulously cleaned. The only print that they ever found in it, which they found a little bit odd, was that one fingerprint. Like not even Carrie's fingerprints were found in the vehicle. Which would make you think that it was wiped clean. Yep. And that's what they thought. But they thought it was Carrie wiping it clean Mm -hmm. so that nobody could follow her stalking, Dave. Right. Because the police that investigated it were the police from Nebraska who were doing the stalker investigation. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty brilliant, really, of Liz to take this victim and turn her into the villain. Mm -hmm. 
So people aren't looking no, for her. They weren't looking at the evidence in the correct way. Yeah. Yeah. And then when the police investigated the vehicle for a missing persons, again, they're not looking for foul play. They're just looking for clues to where is she gone? Right. So the vehicle gets inspected a third time. And this time they go as far as taking the actual like seat covers off the vehicle. And that's where they find a huge red stain that was removed from the top layer, but had had soaked down into the upholstery foam underneath. It was positive for Carrie's blood. Hmm. So How come the passenger side? It's just where it was. Okay. She happened to be on the passenger side. Yeah. It sounds like what police kind of put together is that she went into Dave's apartment right after he left, forced Carrie to give her her phone and her password to her phone. And then forced her to go out into the vehicle. And that's where she stabbed her. Wow. They executed a search warrant on Liz's house and found multiple things of Carrie's at Liz's house. That's so creepy. Mm -hmm. And there was the whole timing of Carrie and Liz logging in and out of her Facebook account. That's how they knew that she must have entered the house right after David left. Which really helped to solve this case, it seems. Mm -hmm. Despite not having a body, police feel that they now have enough evidence to convict Liz. On December 22nd, 2016, Shanna Elizabeth Golier was apprehended by the Nebraska law enforcement. She was charged with first-degree murder of Carrie Farver, and her bench trial commenced on May 10th, 2017. She opted to have a bench trial instead of a jury, and it was probably a smart move by her attorneys because the circumstantial case would be hard to prove without a body, but the jury could be swayed by emotional testimony. True. And so Liz's attorneys felt that she was in better hands with just a judge who could focus on the letter of the law instead of the emotions of the crime. That's the good defense angle Mm -hmm. in that case. It's extremely difficult to pursue a first-degree murder charge without a body, and the prosecution knew this. So as the trial date grew closer and closer, they were in a mad rush to find any more information that would help their case against Liz. They went over all the evidence again and asked Dave if there was anything else that he could think of that could contribute to the case. That's when he remembered a tablet that Liz had left at his house at one point during their turbulent relationship. On the tablet, police found just the thing that would sway the judge's opinion. A micro SD memory card that was in the tablet had also been in... Liz's phone around the time of the murder. The SD card had thousands of deleted images on it. And so some of them were selfies of Liz and things that she had done so that they knew from her phone that it had been in the phone. And all of the deleted images they were able to recover. Among the pictures was a picture of a partially burned severed left foot that had the Chinese symbol for the word mother still visible along with decomposition. They confirmed with Carrie's mom that she had had the same tattoo. She had gotten it when Max was born, and it was a symbol of the passion she felt for her role as a mother and the support she had received from her own mother. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. How poetic that that is what they would find to help identify her. Yeah. And that was her identity. Yeah. Like that's how she defined herself was being a good mom. And that was her speaking her final words. Yeah. There is also several pictures of a blue and silver or gray tarp wrapped up and another up close image of a yin and yang tattoo on a flesh colored object. So it was so zoomed in that they couldn't even figure out what it was on. But Carrie's mother had told them that she had this tattoo too. And it was compared to Carrie's ex-husband's matching tattoo because they had gotten it together. And it was believed to be the one that Carrie had gotten the same time as him. Why did she take pictures of all of this? Well, that's her mementos. That's so wild. Mm-hmm. It just seems out of character because it's not like a serial killer who's collecting all these things. Nope. 
But I wonder if she, remember she took pictures of her own self being tied up in a vehicle and stuff like that. If she was like keeping them for later. Unless she thought she was going to use them to frame somebody else. And maybe that's what she had in mind for them. And then once she decided she didn't need that anymore, she deleted them. Deleted them. Yeah. After a 10-day trial, with the help of the new evidence, along with the multitude of emails and the even more numerous text messages that had been sent by Liz since Carrie's disappearance, the judge returned a guilty verdict on May 24, 2017. Liz was convicted and sentenced to life behind bars with an additional 18 to 20 years for arson. Good. Because remember, she set her own house on fire and killed her own pets. That is so terrible. And even the emotional trauma that would have put her kids through by killing her pets. Yeah. Oh, she is such a dirtbag. Liz is serving her life sentence at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women, which is a 275-bed facility for maximum, medium, and minimum custody female inmates. The judge who sentenced Liz said that she had spun a twisted plot of lies, deceit, and impersonations through digital messaging. While in prison, Liz has shown no remorse and continues to say that she had nothing to do with Carrie's death. That always riles me when a murderer does not take responsibility because then I feel like they are so much more likely to offend if they ever get out. Mm -hmm. She actually contacted Leslie Rule to write a book about her story and Leslie Rule wrote the book about how this was a crazy murderer. (laughs) So that backfired. Mm -hmm. Like the shot to the leg. Yep. (laughs) But she still is all about the dramatics. Threatening emails that were sent to her about her children were determined to be fake. And according to other inmates, they claim that she insists on calling her Carrie. No. Mm -hmm. Get out. Call me Carrie? Yep. So was this more about Carrie than it was about Dave the whole time? Or if it was just because Dave liked Carrie, she wanted to be like Carrie? I think it was because Dave liked Carrie more. Wow. Mm -hmm. Her first parole hearing is set for November 2027. That's scary. Mm -hmm. Of the three men that headed the investigation, Carrie's mother Nancy said, Dodie, Avis, and Kava, they're all heroes. Those guys, they mean the world to me. I can't thank them enough. They're my boys. Absolutely. And the three of them didn't stop after the conviction. The three investigators established a scholarship fund in Carrie's name at a local community college that she attended in hopes of associating something positive with her memory. Aww. Isn't that so sweet? It really is. These guys are remarkable. Mm -hmm. One of the goals of this scholarship fund is to reclaim the narrative surrounding Carrie's life and to honor her. Because her whole reputation was tarnished. Yeah, totally thrown under the bus. She wasn't crazy Carrie at all. No, she was a loving mother. Mm Mm-hmm. Over the course of the investigation, the investigators became close to the family and learned of the kind of person that Carrie was. She was a loving daughter and a mother and a fighter and a lifelong learner who continually pushed herself to be better. The same detective that had the idea about the scholarship also fought for all the Facebook profiles, the dating profiles that had been created in Carrie's name to be taken down. And this battle continued up until 2019. What? Mm-hmm. That shouldn't even been contested. But like that ha- should have been immediately taken down. But they had to fight for it to be done. When asked how she wanted her daughter to be remembered, Nancy said, as the fun-loving, talented, smart woman that she was. Maxwell, Carrie's son, is now married and following in his mother's footsteps. His grandmother is his biggest supporter. Max received a Bachelor of Science degree in Software Engineering and Data Science in December 2021, and now he is working as a full-stack developer. He is finding a way to cope with a tragedy that was caused by the jealousy and spitefulness of a woman who had only briefly met his mother in passing. This callous and dramatic dirtbag 
Shanna Liz Golier. Wow, good for Max for being able to make something of himself and push through this. I cannot even imagine what he's had to go through, what Carrie's mother and rest of their family has had to go through. Like this is a nightmare. No, thinking that you were abandoned in your teenage years would have been so formative and so hard to overcome. Right. And then to find this out, like that would turn your world upside down. Yeah. And it seems so senseless. Like you said, she only knew Carrie for a couple of weeks. Who knew if Carrie and Dave, like they could have parted ways the next week after. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like they were married and this was his long-term thing. Neither of them wanted a long-term thing. Nope. And what claim did Liz have on Dave anyway? Zero. Mm -hmm. Dave had been upfront with Liz. Yep. And it would have made more sense had Amy been the person that was protective of Dave. No, Amy was a rock star through all of this too. She was able to stay amicable with the father of their children, which not a lot of people in relationships can even do that. No. So that speaks to the both of their characters being able to put their children first. Yeah. Liz was just this little infection that grew and grew and grew. And manipulated everyone around her. Yeah, such a dirtbag. And then to kill Carrie and then use this quote unquote crazy Carrie to get closer to Dave. So manipulative, right? Like how is Dave even surviving after this? It changed his life forever. Yeah. If I were him, I'd be like, hey, no more women. I'm batting for the other team. Like, no way. (laughs) He is now in a committed relationship. really yeah he is no longer playing the field (laughs) yeah it is dangerous out on that field (laughs) giving up the dating apps (laughs) yeah what a nightmare story to shoot yourself to set your house on fire to yeah tie yourself up and put yourself in the trunk and try to take pictures of you yeah this is totally boiled rabbit in a pot vibes just crazy that's why I had to keep researching it's like she did what (laughs) and then she did what Like, for real? (laughs) Well, I really hope she doesn't get out. But you can see, though, from her upbringing about why she would have this propensity to have to control relationships in her life and Mm -hmm. would just cling onto something once she thought that she wanted it. She was not letting go. Yeah, it totally stemmed from her childhood trauma. But unfortunately, with her not taking responsibility, she can't work through that. No, And often this fear of abandonment can lead to demanding clinging behaviors that often push others away. Oh, yeah. You can see how that would happen. And mm-hmm. that's not a fault to her. But no, to go to these extremes, like most people that go through that, do not go to these extremes. No, not at all. It's not an excuse for her despicable behavior in any way. No. And the pain that she caused in everybody else's lives. No. But it does give you an understanding of that's probably why she was doing those things. For sure. Mm-hmm. Which also tells me that she could get treatment for that if she was open to it. But she, right now she still doesn't take any responsibility. And honestly, she's still fighting for her innocence. Oh my goodness. So totally delusional. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just because she destroyed so many lives. Mm-hmm. It was her children that she terrorized because she was being like somebody's after me all of the time. Yeah. But she probably liked that attention from them. Mm -hmm. Like she just terrorized everybody. So bizarre. Yeah. Had you heard that case though? No, I had not heard this case. I'm so glad that you haven't heard it. And it'll be awesome if our listeners haven't heard it. But even if you have heard this case before, hopefully we told it to you in a way that you'll have some insight or a few more details into what actually happened between Dave and Carrie and Liz. Yeah, what a triangle. Mm -hmm. 
And the sad part is that it wasn't even like a committed triangle, right? Dave wasn't in a committed relationship with either of them. No, and he wasn't the dirtbag that was pretending to be in a committed relationship, right? No, he was not stringing either of these women along. He did not deserve, well, nobody deserves that, but Dave did not deserve that in this situation and neither did Carrie. No, he was totally upfront with what he was after. Yeah. And told her on multiple occasions. Yeah. Well, I really hope that Dave and Max and Carrie's mom, that they're all just living their best life. Yeah, I hope so too. Hopefully Liz can come to the realization that she needs some help. But if she's still telling people to call her Carrie, she is far from that. And hopefully at her parole hearing, a judge recognizes that. Yes, because that would be awful to let her out again. But she does seem to have a way with manipulating people. Yeah, she has no problem destroying anybody else's life to get what she wants. Yikes. Had you guessed the end? Throughout it, but I didn't have it figured out right at the beginning. At first, I was like, okay, yeah, Liz. But then I was like, how do you get two crazy girls when (laughs) Carrie started to act that way? It took me a little bit to figure out that Carrie was actually dead and someone was Mm -hmm. impersonating her. Yeah. Which I'm so happy that the investigative team made that effort to restore her legacy because she was not crazy Carrie at all. Yeah, I thought that was such a noble and awesome thing to do Mm -hmm. there was Mm -hmm. definitely great police work in this case yeah well thank you for that crazy bizarre twisty turny case next week we'll be back for christy's case we hope you join us but until then we hope you have a wonderful week see ya bye I get stuck. <laughs> when she gave him the ultimate, the ultimatum, <laughs> I'm giving you an ultimatum there, mate. <laughs> That's not what she said. <laughs> I don't put that in there. I am totally putting that in there. <laughs> I was always looking for a companionship. Ship. <laughs> As a man, <laughs> I want a companionship. <laughs> a real one. <laughs> Drave. Drave and gave gave oh my goodness I'm gonna have a problem with Dave <laughs> who doesn't have a problem with Dave <laughs> I'm trying it's a.m. so it's more you're convincing yourself you just yeah. had a whole conversation with yourself right there <laughs> what do you need me for you can just co-host the podcast all by yourself crazy Carrie or crazy Melissa I don't know what I just witnessed <laughs> This is a video I would totally like replay. Her father was a divorce. Her father was a divorce mother. <laughs> no, that doesn't make sense. Glenn changed his story. Sorry. Glenn changed his story. Af- sorry. Did he say sorry in his story? He didn't. I was, You don't have to put this in here. But I was just thinking, where would you shoot yourself? Like if you had to make it look like you were being shot. In the shoulder. That's what I was going to say. But I would want to graze my shoulder because I wouldn't want to injure it so bad that I couldn't use my arm. Maybe the forearm? Foot. Foot. Like, I don't know. Something not near a big artery. Had you guessed the end before the beginning? Before the beginning? (laughs) (laughs) No, not before the beginning. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents?
We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.